okay, man, we need to start where we left off, right? <laughs> Maybe, is it is it out of line to say that that was the best moment in our podcast's <laughs> short history? Oh, yeah, that was definitely a highlight maybe the highlight i i don't know how you beat it if you haven't listened to the last episode which was episode 11 uh, what was the conversation the hermeneutics, hermeneutics right yeah, i was on hermeneutics lance had a great great quote <laughs> but it just never quite came out it took a long it took a lot of work so go back listen to it man that that was hilarious well, i can't think of many times where i've had like just a complete blank. I mean, it's almost like I, I just blacked out mid quote. Oh, is it, your and the face quote itself, showed it. The, the quote itself was like twelve words tops. Probably you've said it a thousand times before. Oh man! But man, TJ was, lost his mind over there. Oh, he loved it. That was that was the greatest. Now I'm now I'm just holding my breath, hoping that I don't do the next one because until <laughs> then I now have something that we can joke about on your behalf uh but i i don't want i don't want to be the 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 one that makes the next fumble yes definitely definitely go back and and watch it or listen to it it's it's, worth it it's definitely (laughs) worth it it's definitely worth it well hey i'm gonna do the introduction today and we are the reformed informants and this is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition systematic theology and practical application for the good of the church i'm tj darty across from me is lance burrows and we are the reformed informants. That was good. Can, you think I? You think I've earned another yeah, attempt later yeah, down yeah, the yeah. road? Okay, we'll give you another one. Okay, all right, Lance. Sometime this summer, Lance. <laughs> at some point, right? What are we? What are we going to chat about today? We we've nailed down um, a lot of work on bibliology. We did. We've done a, mi- a mini series um, walking through the specific doctrine related to scripture. Um, we, we've looked at Bible translations, a little bit more practical application, and then we had our first listener requested episode. We worked through uh, the topic of hermeneutics. Where are we going next? Yeah, well, we said part of the podcast is also biblical exposition, or you could say exegesis as well, basically looking at a portion or a passage or an individual uh, text of Scripture and um, drawing out from the text what it means and then how we would apply that text after we do all the groundwork. Mm-hmm. Um, we did that uh, just a while back with Acts chapter 17. Um, so we thought that that would be a, uh, another good idea or another good episode to kind of implement what we did there in another portion of Scripture. So uh, we're going to look at Philippians today, and specifically we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, Verse thirteen. Okay, you, you mentioned part of the part of the podcast is biblical exposition, and we we try to do that throughout, even within other episodes, right? Like we'll give specific biblical examples, and we'll say, like I, I believe last episode we were dealing with um, Colossians one fifteen and dealing with a particular verse, but we didn't really dive into the depths of it and and looking at all of the surrounding context. We kind of gave a cursory or quick. Um, example of how to interpret that, but we want to be able to to camp out on specific verses and specific passages um, because that's how when we typically read the Bible, we will come across text and we need to understand how do we interpret this, um, how do we understand this, and Philippians 4.13, would you say that's a fairly common and well-known verse? Yeah, I mean, we did this with uh, hermeneutics, uh, last episode when we talked about the... When Lance fumbled the yeah, quote. Again, yeah, that's that episode. <laughs> we, we did that when we were comparing translations. We used John 3.16 mm-hmm. because it's just a well-known verse. Um, so we want to do that with Philippians 4.13 because 
uh, it's another well-known verse. You see the verse used on T-shirts <laughs> right, and coffee right. mugs or, right. you know, pictures that you can hang on the wall. Uh, so I, I would say that, that most people, if they could pick a verse or two that they do know from Scripture, Philippians 4.13... And not not only is it extremely familiar, uh, but I think you and I will attempt to demonstrate that often it is misapplied, misinterpreted, uh, misused. And so we don't want to um, just pretend, again, like, okay, well, we know all this stuff and the rest of the Christian world doesn't. Like, that's not the case. But what we want to do is say, okay, these are some some verses or these are some passages that maybe seem familiar. Or maybe we understand them somewhat, but maybe we're missing something or maybe we're misapplying something. So um, if, if I'm going to now approach Philippians 4.13. Yeah, how, how would you start that? What would, what would that process or what would that look like? Well, you might think the first place I would go is Philippians chapter 4, right? Like you might yeah, think, sure. hey, that's what I'm doing. I need to deal with the text. We've said before, you've got to deal with the Bible, the, the biblical text on its terms, Um but what comes what comes before Philippians four? Um, well, you've got to look at obviously the first three chapters of Philippians, but even before that, you need to go back to what else the Bible says about the church in Philippi. So I would take us all the way back to Acts sixteen. So what happens in Acts sixteen? Why do we go there first? What 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 do we see there? Yeah, Acts sixteen, and you know, it, it is a it is a blessing and a grace to be able to go back to Acts to help us. Yeah try and do some background work on New Testament epistles. And thankfully, we can do that with uh, Philippians because when we get to Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16 is essentially the, um, the, the foundation or the, the orchestrating of the beginning of uh, the church at, at Philippi. Um, so if that is the case, we, we need this understanding going into the book of Philippians because this will help place ourselves in church life. That's right. It, it puts us in the historical context, right? Yeah. Um, not to cut you off. Keep going. Sorry. No, it, it does. No, that's absolutely what it does. It places us like we're we are we're in the home, like we're in the actual that's church, right. and we say home because they that's met where, mm-hmm. in Lydia's home. Um, but it, it literally attaches us to their church, mm-hmm. and and it allows us to essentially be there with them yeah. as we work through the narrative and as we work through Paul's letter to the Philippians. That's right. We, we know some of the characters. We know some of the dynamics of the church. We know a little bit about um, the culture and the setting. I, I really think it's worth pointing out, um, even before you get to Philippi, I, I think if you go back to Acts 16, um, you see in, in verses 6 to 10, you see a really, really important development, and I think it's worth glancing at real quick. Uh, verse 6, Luke says that they went through the regions of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Well, that's uh, another topic for another conversation, but w- we we see now the Spirit is guiding where the um, these church planners, where the missionary journey actually goes. And in verse 7, again, the Spirit does not allow them to move where they seek to go. And verse 9 says that a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And a man of Macedonia, that's the, the greater region where Philippi is actually located, says a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, verse 10, immediately 
we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Well, I think I can confidently say that we can already see the sovereign display of God's plan and um, mercy upon the people in Philippi, right? Like God has a special place for the people of Philippi, and he has called the people there to himself. Yeah, this is God sovereignly planting this church. He's starting this church. He's orchestrating the beginnings of this church. And notice he's doing that through Timothy, through Paul, through Silas. And this is actually in the book of Acts where the we section begins, which would include Luke Mm -hmm. um, on this journey. And he's here at at the start of this church. Um, So so God is orchestrating this. So if you keep going in uh, the Acts narrative... We see as they make their way to Philippi, verse 12, that they come across a certain woman, verse 14, named Lydia. Okay, and we're told that she sells purple um, from the city of Thyatira and that she was a worshiper of God. But what's interesting here is verse 14 tells us that from the preaching of the gospel that Paul was already administering to them as soon as he arrived there that the Lord opened up her heart. Mm. Amen. The Lord opened her heart, saved her, called him to, or called her to himself. Mm -hmm. And that, that really is the birth of the Philippian church. That's right. That's right. And, and you keep going through. So, so Lydia, we see this conversion, and she's an influential uh, member of their society there, right? She's a seller of purple goods, um, so she has uh, connections in the society. And and Luke continues, and there's a uh, slave girl who had um, these powers through a, a, some kind of spirit. And yeah, that's a crazy story. Yeah, like, and it's it's very casual the way Luke tells it. Doesn't like it's just a handful of verses uh, that there's uh, this this girl who's going, and she is profiting the men who are with her. They're taking advantage of this demonic influence in her in her body. And Paul says, I'm really annoyed with your pestering spirit. And so he casts the demon right. out of her. Yeah, so apparently the slave girl had the ability to... Did, did she have the ability to tell the future or to predict yeah, prophecies? The, the, it doesn't... We don't know exactly. Yeah, it doesn't really say. Right? But, but there was some kind of supernatural right this is where we see the demonic world in play systematic theology helps us with that right right like we maybe don't get that exact verbiage from luke but we can look at other passages that would say this is some kind of supernatural demonic activity um that's going on and paul casts the demon out which is so casual as you read like luke just kind of glosses right and it came out that very hour but then you know he just rolls on to the right. next part of the story um so the owners get real upset yeah they, and, they don't take that too well right uh, so that leads us into the next event and again this is all surrounding the church of philippi mm-hmm. um where the owners of this slave girl um are basically raging furious because right, right their there goes their means business. of income mm-hmm. yeah is now being basically shut out Uh, So verse 19, we're told uh, that they seize Paul and Silas and drag them to the uh, marketplace in front of the authorities. Mm -hmm. And they put them in front of the authorities and they um, basically put them on public trial right there in front of, and then they 
mercilessly beat them. Which is common all throughout the book of Acts, by the way. Yeah. They're con- Paul and the apostles and even Peter and John back in the earlier chapters mm-hmm. of Acts, they're constantly being brought in front of officials. They're constantly being mm-hmm. brought in front of authorities. And they are being beaten sometimes, right. right? And most of the time, they're brought in front of these authorities and saying, these men are disturbing the peace. They, they've come in, and they're causing riots to do this. It's so ironic. But these, the world is being turned upside down, and, the, and people don't like it. And so they beat them. Uh, verse 23 says, when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received the order, the jailer put them in the inner prison and fastened them in, fastened their feet in the stocks. Yeah, they are locked up. They're, yeah, the, <laughs> bad news for the advance of the gospel, right? Yeah. F- Philippi, it, they had a good run. Um, we got Lydia converted. We got a, a demon cast out. Um, but but that's it. We that was kind of the stifling of that whole movement, right? Yeah. Then in the how <laughs> chapter sixteen ends. Yeah, not exactly. Right. 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 Yeah, you get down to verse twenty five. Um, and we're told around midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns in prison. Of course, that's what I would be doing if I had just gotten beaten and yeah. was, you know, shackled up, I'm sure. But yeah, that's what they're doing. There's, and there's a massive earthquake that uh, takes place in verse 26, and the prison doors um, are, are essentially opened, and their chains, which they were just shackled to, have now been broken or have been loosed. Um, so th- this creates an issue for the Philippian jailer right now. Now he, his life is now uh, on the line uh, because yeah. Why, why would it be on the line? Well, he he was tasked. I mean, even Luke even tells us that uh, the jailer was ordered to keep them safely. Like your job, your task is to maintain these prisoners. They shall not leave. They shall not get out. You're not to don't trust them. These men are to be kept here until we deal with them in a more official way. Um, likely the next day and the jailer realizing that now the prisoners have been set free his life is on the line they he would have been killed for his um you know you, you think oh the guy's gonna lose his job well he probably would have lost his life like that's how serious yep, um, the, yep. the, the issue was there and so what, what so the jailer he's he's depressed he's scared to death he knows he's about to die and he thinks yeah yeah, verse 27, he, he's going to take his life. Right. He says that he right. drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the Apostle Paul reaches out, right? The great evangelist Paul yeah. reaches out to him. Um, we have a gospel presentation, verse 30. Paul brought him out, and he said, What must I do to be saved, right? Um, and, and, what, so, and what does Paul say? Yeah, ver- verse 31, he they says, said, Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Like that. There's there's the gospel presentation. Repentance is implied there, um, but but repentance and belief. What does the gospel presentation include? Repent and believe. Yeah. Right. Like. Yeah. That's the pattern in Acts. Exactly. Right? Like exactly. We, we see that it only says to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but like you said, repentance repentance is implied. Because that's been the pattern exactly. in the previous chapters you, of the book. And if there is belief, then there must be repentance. The, right. You can't have one without the other. And I don't know if this is uh, something I should say here, but I'm going to. Notice that he didn't say, what should I do to be saved? He said, just pray this prayer and ask Jesus into your heart. Like, we'll, we'll deal with that issue more specifically later in another episode. But the, the, the response is not repeat after me and say this prayer. The response is repent and believe. Right. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And so what happens? 
Yeah, we get down to verses 32 through 34, and the gospel continues to go forth, and we're actually told here that there's belief by other members Mm -hmm. of the Philippian jailer's family, Mm -hmm. and it says that they were baptized as well, um, which, again, is foundational to the start of this church. That's right. God is forbidding the apostles to go to one location. He sends them to another location with elect people there that needed Mm -hmm. to hear the gospel. Now God is calling people to himself. The church of Philippi has been born. That's right. And And sovereign means have taken place, right? Like like God has sent um, Paul to prison, um, Paul and Silas to prison in order that the jailer might hear the gospel and that his family might hear the gospel because they respond in faith because they have been chosen by God to do so. Right. Right. Yeah. So notice uh, even the way that Paul behaves, there's a little tie in, a little connection with the book of Philippians. Paul is content in the circumstance that he is in, in Acts chapter 16, Mm -hmm. because he understands that there is advancement of the gospel and growth of the church. Yeah based on his circumstances in prison. Okay, we've talked for again, I, I don't I don't know how long we've been talking. We haven't even we're not even in the book of Philippians. We've gone backwards. Um, right. but we've we've now kind of set the scene. We understand a little bit about how Philippian the Philippian church was started. And that was around AD 50 okay, probably just for a little timeline. Okay, we're in AD 50. This is the second missionary journey that Paul is on. Um and we 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 look at even as Paul travels from Philippi to Thessalonica in Acts 17. Um, we learn that he actually received um, gifts from these Philippian, the Philippian believers there. He receives monetary gifts multiple times, Philippians 4 is going to tell us, um, because they had such a strong connection with Paul. They supported him. They loved him. So Paul has essentially preached the gospel, and a church has formed. Yeah, and right? it's not— and they're just not brushing him to the side. Of course. Right? The that's Philippians right. love him. That's, that's right, because he has helped them see the truth of the gospel. We we see very briefly, uh, what, is, what was it, Lance, Acts uh, 20? Yeah, Acts 20, uh, verse 6. Okay, verse 6. There's a brief mention of a return trip to Philippi. Right, and that's um, around A.D. 55, so okay. five years later after he founded and started the church. Which was typical of Paul. He wanted to sure. return. He wanted to strengthen. He wanted to encourage. He wanted to correct any deviations from the gospel, but he wanted to let them know that this is um, this is the pattern that I have to take the gospel where it has not been heard, but I also want to come and encourage and help the sanctification and the growth and the maturation of the churches that have been planted, right? So then what happens in Acts 28, and how does that connect us to Philippians? Yeah, so as we close the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 28, that jumps the timeline forward about five more years. So Paul founds the church in A.D. 50. He returns A.D. 55. And now Acts 28 uh, ends around A.D. 60 or so, um, where Paul is on house arrest. Um, his, it's his first arrest uh, in Rome, uh, which is very unique because Paul wanted to make his way to Rome, yeah. and he never made it there um, uh, by his own will. Right. It was all. It was always by God's will That's to right. get him there, and of course, a circumstance. But um, he he never made it as a church planner, right? He made it yeah, as, a, as a yeah. prisoner, 
on trial, appealing to Caesar. That's how he gets to Rome. God determined the means by which he would get there, and that's not maybe the means that Paul had in mind. Again, that, that, that plays into the book of Philippians. Okay. If you have that understanding, it brings so much more weight to Philippians 4.13 when, right. when, when we, when get, we there. get there. because And this is, I know it might seem like overkill, but this is necessary, uh, and this is why reading broadly in Scripture is so helpful, right? Like I, if I'm reading through the book of Acts on a regular basis, I'm exposed to this. I don't have to automatically go back and read for the first time or expose myself to new um, passages of Scripture. I'm rereading, I'm refreshing, I'm relearning. Okay, this is what happened in Philippi. So now, when I open the book of Philippians, which Paul, where, where's Paul at when he's writing this letter? How is it getting like? Wh- how does this connect um, to to Philippians as a, as the book as a whole? Yeah, well, so, so again, Paul's on house arrest. We're told in Acts twenty eight that he's allowed to have uh, guests. He's allowed to have visitors. He, he's actually presented with so many opportunities to continue to share the gospel. Mm-hmm. So the, sh- the shepherd's heart that Paul has and the Philippians consistently being on his mind because they have shown their generosity towards him, Right, he, he unfolds um, such a wonderful and beautiful letter that basically details the joy that he has because of their relationship throughout the years. Even though he's highlighting joy, even though he's in prison, even though he's on, on house arrest, even though he's been beaten, even though he is currently uh, awaiting a trial, which will potentially determine whether or not he's able to live. Right. That's yeah. That's, joy. That's what he's got. Yeah. He uses that word joy, by the way, about a dozen times in four chapters, which is a lot because the letter itself isn't that long. Right. But to consistently talk about joy while on house arrest is. It's honestly mind blowing, and it's a little convicting. Yes, but this this is why it's important to understand the context. The where's Paul writing from? Well, he's writing from prison. So when those like in verse uh, twelve, after the introduction in in uh, chapter one, in verse twelve, he says, "I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel." Right. That that verse. What what has happened to me? Well, what does he mean? We've just detailed some of that, right? Like all of these things that Paul has endured has really served to advance the gospel. So really think about the Philippian case. The fact that I cast out a demon and was arrested and placed in jail, that served, verse 12, to advance the gospel. The gospel advanced despite all of those things because God is sovereignly moving the gospel through. And he lets them know, verse 13, so it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, the ESV says, and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. My chains are in Christ. Like that's that's a powerful, powerful word that we miss if we don't have that background. Right. Right. God is placing Paul in this location at this particular time because there are people there that need to hear the gospel. Right. You cannot believe unless you have the gospel right. preached that's or right. taught to you, right? So That's Romans 10. Yeah, that's, Romans 10. Yeah. Um, so Paul's in a unique situation where he has contact with Roman guards. With, mm-hmm. He has contact with people within Caesar's household, we're told in Philippians chapter 4. Mm-hmm. Um, so... The advancement of the gospel does not stop when Paul is locked up here as he as he writes this epistle. So 
he addresses some of those things, but essentially the main point of his epistle is talking about the joy um, that he has in his circumstances, the joy that he has amongst his fellowship with the Philippian believers. And then he also stresses and emphasizes uh, the unity that comes from, I would argue, sound thinking and sound doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um and so there, there's many different places in Philippians. I think we'll highlight uh, a couple of them here that, that talk about the joy and the unity um, that, that Paul is expressing. Yeah, um, that's so, Lance, I think what you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're saying is that if I read through the book of Philippians, what I'm going to see are the constant reminders to um, understand joy, to, to maintain joy, and to seek unity in Christ. Right, like, is that kind of? Yeah, am, am I going to see those themes throughout? Uh, abso- absolutely, okay. because the, the, the Philippian, the Philippian letter is an intimate letter. Mm-hmm. Um, because he knows them personally. He, yes. he's lived among them. He's visited twice. That's why it's important to look at Acts. Right, it's it's there's knowledge of one another. Um, intimate. I think that's yeah. a good word. It's extremely relational mm-hmm. because Paul is. Actually, he's calling out a few people by name. He's mentioning specific events. He's talking about other people that are kind of the messengers or the go-between when he's not mm-hmm. on church camp, church campus, right? Right. right. <laughs> um, but th- this letter is, is showing Paul's heart and affection for these people. So he's going to kind of outline in detail a few things here um, that that are necessary for joy and for unity. And that brings us into one of the monumental passages uh, in the New Testament, um, Philippians chapter 2, which so much more light is shed on this passage when you understand what Paul is trying to do with Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Well, look at Philippians 2, even how he introduces um, this next uh, flow of thought. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy complete my joy, there's that theme, by being of the same mind. There's unity. And as Lance, as you mentioned, unity in thought, unity in doctrine, um, having the same love, unity in love, being in full accord and of one mind. There's a, a an appeal here that Paul says, my joy will be complete as long as this church remains united and the un- uh, the unity is founded in Christ Himself, right? Which is an, a very powerful doctrinal position in and of itself. Yeah, um, yeah, the supreme example that Paul is building up to yes. is Christ, because if you look in verse five of that same chapter, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Right. Okay. Right. So uh, Paul is he's placing Christ as. Uh, the benchmark, Christ as the supreme example, That's Christ right. as the authority and the figure to look at for the best example anywhere of the, the mindset and the heart of humility. Right. And this, this is what this is what binds the church together. Right. Right. Prideful, yeah, arrogant, boastful people will divide the church, the, the, the local church, right? That yeah, church body. That's exactly. I mean, he says those exact things in verses 3 and 4. He says, Do nothing 
from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves and let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. That's how he, that's his real desire. And then he points to Christ and saying, you don't think you can do that? Well, look at what Christ has done. And and, and this what is, did he do? And, that's so shocking. And just and that's the the high Christological passage that follows, uh, where he says that he, um, though he was in the form of God, he emptied himself. Verse seven. He became a slave. He became a servant, born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's your example. That Christ, who is fully divine, has become fully man and has died the death that we deserve. Yeah, Christ, the second member of the Trinity, yes. he, he left glory, right. took on human flesh. Uh, th- I mean, that, that, that idea, um, that truth alone is, yeah. is the compelling argument here. Look what Jesus Christ did. Right. He became a human being he humbled himself he willingly restricted some of his attributes to take on human flesh and is the the example that Paul is urging the Philippians uh, to follow that's right. here that's right okay well we got to get to chapter 4 right like we you and I could probably sit here and camp and spend a, so you bridge the gap for us if you can take me from there to chapter 4 kind of help finish us yeah through this context because again we're not reading verses in isolation we're getting to the verse we want to really unpack but it's necessary to have this background in place so take us yeah through. so when we finish up that christological passage there in philippians chapter 2 paul uh, continues to urge the philippians to be diligent uh in their sanctification and their pursuit of christ uh, he, he goes on at the end of chapter 2 to talk about Timothy and talk about Epaphroditus, mm. who were um, critical and important people um, within Paul's ministry because they were going back and forth uh, either face-to-face or delivering gifts um, to kind of keep that connection that Paul had uh, with the Philippians. And then it moves on to chapter 3. Paul is exposing some false teaching or some heretical teaching yeah, where yeah. people are trying to implement works. Uh, Paul says to essentially beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, or the, or beware of the mutilation because mm-hmm. there were people that were trying to add circumcision uh, as a means of salvation. And that's when Paul lays out this massive resume. Look, right here is, I mean, his, his resume was yeah. I mean it was like the highest ranking That's resume right. that you could find in That's the ancient right. world and he says look this is all rubbish mm-hmm. this is all garbage um because salvation is not by works right. it doesn't it, matter it, what it, your resume says yeah absolutely yeah. right so he's clearing up those things because again he wants uh the philippians to be unified in thought That's and right. unified in heart uh unified it, in the gospel yeah especially right? on a major component of the gospel. Right. And in fact, if you don't have that component, you don't have the gospel at all. That's right. Uh, so then Paul talks about, look, there's joy in the citizenship uh, that the Philippians have in heaven. That's how he concludes uh, chapter 3. And then and then as we get towards the end of chapter 4, uh, Paul is giving application. Mm-hmm. He's giving some exhortation. He's, he, he's basically 
You've got to outline that your present circumstances, your circumstances in the future, are based on Christ and the gospel, and they're, they're, they're not something that sways back and forth, and your joy isn't found in those particular things. Um, and then that's basically bringing yeah. us up to chapter 4, okay, verse so 13. Awesome. So we've... We've now if I'm if I'm trying to read and understand Philippians four thirteen, I've done the background, I've done my homework, I've read Acts, I've prepared um, by analyzing and re, you know re reading and and exposing myself to Acts sixteen, the founding of the Philippian church, um, the second trip to the Philippian church, the, where Paul is, he's in Rome, he's under house arrest, he writes this letter. I've worked my way through the book of Philippians. I've seen the themes of joy and unity and the exaltation of Christ and the willingness to uh, put others ahead of myself. And now I roll into chapter four. I'm getting this exhortation, this encouragement from Paul, this practical application, and I run to verse 13, I run into this and I say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How do I understand those words? Um, because I'll, I'll just tell you this from personal experience. Yeah. What does it, what does it not mean? Yeah. I think, yeah, this is, this is good. Well, first of all, from personal experience, I remember being, I was young. Uh, I don't know how old I was, but I remember seeing so a couple years, this ago, verse. A couple years ago. <laughs> yeah. I didn't have a beard. Let me say it that way. Uh, I, I remember seeing this verse, and I had the the thought like, "Well, I can't really do all things through Christ who strengthens me because I can't fly." I remember having that that thought as a child. Like I I promise I can't go off the roof and fly. Um, and it was like I just didn't know what now what in the world does it mean. So now I'm thinking, well, I guess I can do all things so long as it's like reasonable or so, as if I can already do it. Then Christ is the one who helps me do it, right? Like. Like that's kind of what I thought, and so I I didn't really know what to do. I didn't really know how to understand it. And then as, as I got older, I'm sure you've seen this. Uh, it just became like the sports motto, right? Like we both played college athletics and uh, played sports for a long time. Been in the athletic arena. Did you see this verse? Yeah, I mean, yeah. This verse is used all the time. <laughs> yeah, um, like right before I right before I go up to bat, like oh Philippians four thirteen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, like that, like that. I see. I've seen that. Yeah, I team probably verse. It. <laughs> it's on T-shirts. You know. Yeah. Um, that Christ will give me strength to, you know, what whatever sport you want to, mm-hmm. you know, throw in there on on the on the illustration, but we're arguing here that that's not the meaning right. of the verse. So so you're saying then that it's I can't really do all things or that I can't really do anything I want through Christ who strengthens right, me. Yeah. I can't claim Christ's strength and do... I can say, well, I can pick up this car because Christ strengthens me. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's, that's a word of faith theology, mm-hmm. that this idea that, you know, that, that, I, that I can... I can somehow speak things into existence mm-hmm. or somehow do things that I couldn't do beforehand because I have Christ or because um, I, I'm a believer. Right. You're like tapping into some kind of secret power that Christ has. And now that we are believers, we have this this gift or this ability to uh, speak things into existence or, or claim things from heaven because we now have this power that we can do these things. Right. right? Yeah, so outside of Reformed theology, I would say that that is basically the interpretation of Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. And in fact, I would say that a majority of time, 
most people just miss the meaning mm-hmm. of 413, which it, it, it's sad. It is. Because and the verse is loaded. That's right. Uh, and it's not always that blatant. Right, like it's not always that extreme, but a lot of times, and I would say that I was guilty of this for a long time, um, of just constantly going, okay, well, I can I can handle this math test I got coming up, right? Because Christ strengthens me, so I can do it. Um, it's almost like this: it, I can work hard, I can I can pull up, pull myself up by my bootstraps, and I can do this because you know, I can just lean on Christ to do it. And, and like just kind of applying it to the most absurd circumstances, the most trivial circumstances to say, this is really, God really wants me to get through this difficult time, you know? And like, I think I just, I just missed really what was going on partially because of the stuff we just talked about. I didn't understand. So how do, how do I understand this? We, we know what it's not. Now, how do we actually break down this verse to know yeah, what it is? So I think there, there's two things that we need to do. Um, we need to actually look at the verse itself, mm-hmm. and you're going to be able to help with this a little more because you have a you have an understanding of the Greek language. And um, if if you don't, this would be a time to you know maybe have a, a study Bible mm-hmm. or a couple other resources that that could help you out. But I'll I'll let you take this first part in, in okay. particular, kind of picking apart the, sure. the verse in, in the original language, and then I'll add. Uh, the, the second way of approach uh, would be to let's look at the context right. for the surrounding verses, like right. the immediate verses. So right, o- okay. So you're giving me way too much credit. I don't really know my original languages that well right now. Um, but let's say let's say you have no knowledge of the biblical languages. One really helpful resource that um, we wanted to mention was is called BlueLetterBible.org. It's extremely accessible very user-friendly, and uh, you can highlight any particular English version and um, put it next to the Greek translation, and it's really helpful. So you can have a, it's called an interlinear translation, where it puts the the actual English word and then the Greek word next to it and gives you a translation this of it. This is free. It's Th- free. This is free. It's very accessible. You don't need to know Greek um, to do it. It just, it's, it's helpful. Now, if you don't know any Greek, it's not going to make it a whole lot of sense, but it can start to you can start to use it and utilize it in a way that says, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. Well, when you look at the the verse in the Greek language, I think it's a really interesting um, actual construction here. Uh, first of all, it begins with the word "all things." It, it doesn't begin with "I can do" or "I am able to do." It begins with the word "all things," and that's important for us because Paul, by doing that. He has the freedom to do that in Greek, but he's emphasizing this. He's saying, this is the most important thing I want you to pull from the sentence. It's not I. It's not I can do. I can do. I can. It's actually all things, all things, all things, all things. So he says, all things I can do. And that word, I can do, um, actually carries a meaning that says, uh, it has the idea of being able to overcome. It ha- you have a strength or an ability or a power um, to endure and to overcome something. So in, in other words, I can overcome all things in him or through him who strengthens me or who gives me strength is how the Greek might um, be translated there. And so really the focus in understanding this verse is first all things 
That's that's Paul's emphasis. He wants us to understand that it's all things or all circumstances that we can, uh, secondly, endure or overcome. Okay, so reading that just by itself, you might say, there is no circumstance in which I might not be able to overcome because of Christ himself. So just by itself, that gives me a much better understanding. But how does the context actually clarify and make that more clear? Yeah, well, okay, let's say that you don't have access to the Greek language. You don't have access to Blue Letter Bible. Um, And we haven't done a podcast on this particular verse, so you don't have a resource. Yeah, of course, yeah. (laughs) You can still get to the meaning of the text in the English language by also looking at the context. If you look at the context of this particular passage, uh, if you go back to verse 10, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked on opportunity. Verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Okay, so now we're, mm. we're building up to it. Paul Paul says, look, I'm not talking about what I need. Paul is saying whatever state I am in, I have learned to be content. Okay, that, that is key. Now he explains that a little more in verse 12. I know how to be abased, and I'm reading from the New King James, and I know how to abound. Okay, so he's showing opposite ends of the spectrum here. Everywhere and all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So the context of Philippians 4.13, Paul is he's showing extremes. He's saying, look, I, I have lived at times where I have an abundance, mm. where I have plenty, where God has graced me with many gifts from you, the Philippians, and and many other churches that I was attached to. But Paul is also saying, in 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter, is it chapter 10? 11. 11. Okay, 2 Corinthians 11, I'll let TJ talk about this here in just a second. 2 Corinthians 11 actually describes the opposite end of having plenty and the opposite end of everything is going, Mm quote-unquote, well. Yeah, I mean, these are the words uh, that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 11. He says that I have had far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received 40 lashes less one, so the 39 lashes from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night in the day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city and danger in the wilderness, danger at sea and danger from false brothers and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst often without food and cold and exposure and apart from other things there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety my anxiety for all the churches that's that's a rap sheet of difficulty that Paul faces yeah and absolutely scripture interpreting scripture going other places in scripture to help us get the meaning of the portion of scripture we are at in Philippians 4:13. Right. So right. TJ just read again that's Paul's resume for that's right. <laughs> the beat down that he took year after year after year after mm-hmm. year but but here's the key back in verse 11 I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. So no matter the circumstance of Paul he understands that his rock is still found 
his joy right. is still found, and his unity in the faith with his brothers and sisters in Christ, all of those things are found in Christ. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through I can endure any circumstance. There it is. There it is. So based on the context, when we get to verse 13, we look at the ver- the first word, the all things. Really, what, what Paul is saying, no matter the circumstance, every single situation I have ever been in, whether it's the time of plenty or the time of need, whether it's the rap sheet from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, or whether it's the gifts that have been coming in, um, overflowing from these churches and their uh, generosity, no matter what, in all things, I can overcome, I can endure, I can persevere, I can move forward because of the strength that I have from Christ. It's a, it's a spiritual state of joy and a and an eternal perspective that drives him and moves him forward. So in other words, it's not if if I really think about Jesus right now I can hit this free throw. It's it's <laughs> much more than that, right? Like it, it's a when when life happens, when you have uh, when your wife has the miscarriage, when you um, are are dealing with family um, division, when you lose your job, when um, when all of the difficulties of life just pour out upon you, you can endure, you can persevere because no circumstance is too great for Christ. Right, and this this is Bible study. This is the beauty of hermeneutics. This is a beauty of taking your time. Uh, doing the groundwork Mm -hmm. to get to the actual meaning of God's word because how sweet is it? That's right. No matter the circumstance, I can still live in joy in light of what Christ has done in the gospel. The, The externals that I face day after day after day after day, they don't affect what I have in the gospel. That's exactly right. And and I loved what you said there. This is this is the fruit. This is the reward for doing that diligent work, for doing the study prior. I, I think, if I remember correctly, that my takeaway from uh, episode 11 was that you don't stumble into proper interpretation, right? Like you're not you're just going to happen upon it. You, it takes intentionality. It takes effort. It takes work. It takes time. It, it takes uh, maturation and growth. And if I had just opened up Philippians 4.13 or probably more likely instead of opening up my Bible, if I had just seen it on a, a you know, a picture frame or on the back of a t-shirt or a bumper sticker, I'm going to miss all all of that fruit. I'm going to miss that because I didn't do the groundwork. I didn't spend the time in Acts. I didn't spend the time reading and preparing and thinking and checking other passages of Scripture and letting Scripture interpret Scripture, analogy of faith. If I don't do those things, I don't get the sweet, sweet reward that that will show up when life happens. Not if, but when life happens, I can turn back to this. There's a, there's a sweet truth here in Philippians 4.13. I don't want to dismiss the verse because it's been so misused. In fact, it's an incredibly comforting verse, but we need to know what the actual meaning is behind it. Yeah, it's so good. Um, this is God-honoring Bible study. Yes. Because His, his Word is honored. Right. And when his word is honored and when his meaning has been brought forth, that's when we truly understand the value of what God has revealed. Mm. Um, and we see that here in Philippians chapter 
That's right. Four verse thirteen. That's right. Okay, Lance. Informants Initiative time. Gonna let you go first. Uh, what, what what's our takeaway? We we spent some time really diving into this. How do we what what do we take away? Yeah, I I, I would say context, 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 context. And and what I mean by that is, look, we we just used a couple chapters in the Book of Acts, mm-hmm. um, and then we just looked at the the surrounding verses. Uh, that kind of book ended 4.13. And th- those passages just shed so much light on what Paul was getting to and, and what he was working towards. And um, w- we have to approach any text that way. Don't isolate it. If you isolate 4.13, mm. that's when you come up with the um, interpretations that aren't even close to what Paul was trying to get at in his authorial intent, right? So yeah. we, we need the context. There is so much value in that. That's Yeah, that's really good. Um, I, think, I think my takeaway, I'm going to let you correct me here, okay, <laughs> is that a text without a context <laughs> is a pretext for a proof text. I, I couldn't have said that better myself. <laughs> We, I have documented proof of that, actually, so you're exactly right. Yeah. No, I would just echo exactly what you said, that, that we have to spend time. I think just I, I would want to echo that and say it again, that it's, it's, worth, it's worth it. There's riches in the study of God's Word, um, and, and there's not just riches in understanding it, but riches in application that we miss if we don't do this. And so spending the time in God's Word, always worth it always beneficial to us um, and, and always honoring to God, as you mentioned, to be able to spend the time um, preparing, learning, and, and diving in to unpack the truth that's, that's there. Right. To God be the glory, right? Amen. Amen. Hey, if you're not doing so already, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And in fact, don't be afraid to give us a review and maybe some feedback on there. And make sure you're subscribing to our new and improved YouTube channel. Be sure to like us on Facebook at Reformed Informants. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at R underscore Informants. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics of discussion, feel free to email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com. 